You guys remember what happened last week? What was the story we read last week? Come on. Who's here? Yes, lame man, right? Um, Peter and John were on their way. Where were they on their way to? The temple. It was about the ninth hour. It was about 3 p.m., which is close to the evening sacrifice. And uh, this layman, how did he get to the temple? How was he making it there? He was taken every day. Do you remember how, how, how was he getting there? Yeah, carried by his friends. He's sitting there. He's asking for money. Peter looks at him intently. Peter knowing, I think, something's up. God's got a, a plan here. Peter may have passed by this guy many times, but today was different. Peter looks at him intently and tells him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up. This guy is healed. He goes off quietly. No, that's not what he does. What's he do? Yeah, leaps, right? He goes off leaping and praising God. And now some of you are going to have that song stuck in your heads the rest of the day. We discussed some of the implications of this miracle last week, but I want you to think about it. If, if, if this guy, now this is the time of the evening sacrifice. There would have been many Jewish people there entering into the temple. And if you've got a guy that's running around leaping and praising God, do you think that that would have just uh, stayed a little contained or do you think that would have drawn some attention? Drawn some attention? And that's exactly what it does. So I want to continue reading this story because the story doesn't end there. And we're going to start with uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And I've got some slides up there if you want to just follow along while watching up here. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 3, verse 11 says, While he clung to Peter and John, so he must have, as he went leaping off, he must have come back to where Peter and John were, and he's like right there with them. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So everybody's just amazed. He's drawing attention. Everybody's going, what is going on? And, and, and this guy was clearly such a fixture at the temple that they knew wait a minute, something miraculous has happened. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter not, doesn't want to miss an opportunity here, right, to give glory to whom glory is due. Peter sees that this is drawn attention. This wasn't his original purpose. He was coming there to pray. It was the hour of prayer. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or or, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? In other words, guys, I'm not a wizard. I'm not a miracle man. Why are you wondering about what's happened here? And then he connects it to something here. He connects it. He says, I want, you to make, I want to make sure that you understand this wasn't about Peter. It wasn't about John. It wasn't about us. In fact, this ought to be familiar, men of Israel. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. I think it's quite possible, if not slightly so with Pentecost, Clearly so here. I think the people that are listening to this particular speech were many, many of them, the very same people that not that much before this were the same crowd that was chanting, crucify him, 
Crucify him. Crucify him. And what did Pilate say? He said, I've got this guy here, murderer. I could release Jesus, who clearly seems to be innocent, or Barabbas, right? Who am I going to release? And what did they say? Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. What's, isn't this what Peter is talking about right now? I mean, talk about guilt upon guilt. And Peter is pointing out some obvious things here. Once again, in many ways, going on the offensive here. You. Did you see the, do you see those words up there? You delivered over. You denied. You killed. But what did God do? Raised him from the dead. Glorified him. And now, men of Israel, as you're looking at this man who was lame and now leaping around, you need to understand that the same one that you said, kill him, he's the same one that God knew exactly what he was doing. That was all part of God's plan. He was crucified by your hands. But yes, he's risen again. And now by his name and in his power, this man's walking around. And just so you don't miss it, men of Israel, this Jesus, the God that rose him from the dead, is the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This isn't something totally new. This is fulfillment of what you've been looking for. He goes on to say this, To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man, or has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He's saying, hey, the prophets, they've been talking about this. Men of Israel, why? Isn't that how he started? Why are you wondering at this? Why are you surprised? Why are you astounded? Repent, therefore. Oh, did I, skip a, did I skip one? Let me go back. Let me, just so I don't lose my place. All right, to this we are witnesses by his name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things by which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is one of the oldest messianic prophecies that we have. Not the oldest, but one of the oldest. Where Moses says, the, the Messiah will be a prophet. Not just a king, but a prophet. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking, from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And that should be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days 
In other words, men of Israel, these days that you are now living in, you're seeing the fulfillment of these things. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now when it comes to sermons, this particular one, as I was studying this, it's really an amazing sermon. Obviously Luke has summarized, once again he's gathered the information, this is the gist of what Peter's message was after the lame lame man was healed. Again, we have things that I could talk about, the use of Scripture. Did you hear Peter quoting from Scripture as he's preaching, he's presenting, proving to these people who Christ was? This sermon ends with the the point that the gospel is coming to the Jews first. Did you catch that at the very end? He's coming to you. Christ came to you. As I was studying this week, I was dissecting this sermon little by little and I was getting all these things laid out about all the details of this sermon. I could have talked a lot more about the prophet that Moses speaks of. I can remember when I was in school doing a whole study on just this, this particular prophecy that, that Moses said, there's going to be a prophet like me. It's going to raise, be raised up amongst your brothers. You should listen to him. The Jews wondered about this prophecy. Some of them wondered if the prophet was going to be a different person than the Messiah. Clearly, Peter is saying, now we know. Have you ever watched a movie, and the whole time you're sitting there, and you're not quite for sure what's going on, but at the very end, they reveal this one aspect, and you go, oh. And then as you go back, if you ever rewatch that movie, you're like, that's why that was happening. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Anybody ever had a, a, a case like this? Raise your hand, seriously, I, I need to know. You know what I'm talking about? It, very much for the, the disciples, as they were going back now and reading the Old Testament, because see, once Jesus came and suddenly, now we know what the Messiah looks like, suddenly you can go back and you can read the Old Testament. And, and for us, it's like that all the time. We read the Old Testament, we're, we're sitting there reading through things in the Old Testament, we go, oh, that's talking about Jesus. For the Jews, many times they, they weren't quite sure and they were confused about, is this the Messiah? Is this how, what about the suffering servant aspect and the, the conquering king? And there was some confusion. You even see that with Jesus' disciples when they started believing, yeah, you're the Messiah. And then what happens? Jesus says, I'm going into Jerusalem. And Peter's like, all right, let's be, he's king now. Just, no, that's not. Peter, you're, don't quite have, Peter's got it now though, doesn't he? He gets it. And he's telling these people, hey, the the Messiah that you were hoping for, he came, you crucified him. I could dissect this sermon so, there's so many elements that I I was getting antsy about. I'm thinking, oh man, I could talk about that, I could talk about that. But the question I had to ask as your pastor is, what is the point for you? See, I didn't know exactly who would be here today, but I knew God would bring somebody here today, and here you are. I thought to myself, what, in this sermon, what do they need to hear? And I, I think there's something, it, it, it came to me yesterday as I was working through this, there was one particular verse, verse 17, that stuck in my mind, I said, hmm. Notice what he says in verse 17. And now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in ignorance. Let me, let me pause here for a second. Understand first, the word ignorance it isn't necessarily an insult. The word ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid, right? It doesn't mean you're dumb. Ignorance literally means you're, you're lacking in one particular piece of knowledge. That's what the English word means. In the Greek, the word that's translated ignorance means the exact same thing. It, it, it's, it's actually a word that means without knowledge, right? Kind of like our word, ignorant, right? You're, you're lacking in some element of knowledge. So somebody can be really smart and still be ignorant on a topic. Does that make sense? Okay. There's lots of things that maybe one person may know. They have all kinds of knowledge on a, a, a topic. You may have somebody that's a rocket scientist, but he can't figure out how to put gas in the car, right? I mean, the, the, that's the reality. Ignorance is what Peter is talking about. He said, brothers, you acted in ignorance. That, what was the act he's referring to? Think about the, the context. Okay, I'm asking you guys to think with me today because I, I don't want you to miss this. This is really good. What's the acted? He said you acted in ignorance. What was he talking about? If you have to look back, what were they doing? What's that? Killing Basically killing Jesus. Killing the Messiah. Now think about these Jews. They've been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah. And what Peter's saying is, he came and you killed him. He adds to the, just the significance of by saying, not only did you kill him, you, you, you opted for a murderer to be released over him. You did that. You denied him. You killed him. And he says this. He says, and now I know that you acted in ignorance. Even though they rejected the Messiah in their ignorance, I want you to hear what he says next in verse 19. He says this. Repent, therefore. This is really, really interesting, and here's, here's why. Even though they acted in ignorance, do you see that it was not an excuse? Do you see that? Even though they acted in ignorance, even though the reason why they were chanting, and I genuinely believe that many of these Jews really thought they were defending God's honor because if they had been right that Jesus was saying that he was God, if he really wasn't God in the flesh, then they were doing something good because they were saying, you can't go around saying you're God when you're not. That's blasphemous. I think many of these Jews, somewhere in the back of their head, they really thought they were doing the right thing by, by defending God's honor. Here's this guy raising himself up saying he's God in the flesh. I mean, Jesus said at one point, said, I can forgive sins on earth. I mean, what? Who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. That was the response to him. I think in some ways they thought, but, but now... As Peter's taking these Old Testament scriptures and opening their eyes, I think that many of them were seeing. Can you imagine the sinking feeling in your gut you would have? As, see, the ignorance is dissipated. It's washed away because when you add new knowledge and sometimes you go, oh. And then maybe you go, oh. Oh. I think that, honestly, I think that in some element that's, except to a much bigger degree. This is exactly where they were struggling with. Oh, we killed him, Messiah. 
And this response here is, is there's twofold aspect to this response. Number one, when Peter then turns around and says, repent, therefore, that, that you have to understand that in the saying of the word repent, there's, there's, it's, there's still kind of this, you, you, you denied him, you did this, th- you did these things. You need to repent. You need to turn around. But do you see that in that recall to repentance, there's also hope? Hope. Even though you were the ones that chanted crucify it, even though you were the ones that killed him. I mean, really, I mean, that's what he says. He says, you killed him. You killed the author of life. The holy and righteous one. You killed him. Repent. Turn around. That your sins may be blotted out. I'm going to speak a little bit more to this ignorance, if you'll permit me to jump into some passages of Scripture. Can I do that? I could, I could go haywire here, but I'm not going to. I just have to do a little bit. L- let me share some from Paul. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll put this up here for you. Ephesians chapter 4 is writing, and he's talking about Christ. Listen to some of the words that he says. He says, when you, when you read this, and we actually remember when we studied Ephesians, those of you here that have been for a while, you remember when we studied Ephesians? Anybody here when we did that? Um, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul's not being arrogant. He's saying, hopefully as you're reading this, you can perceive that God has revealed something to me, basically. I've got insight. There's been new knowledge, right? Insight into the, the, the mystery of Christ. This phrase, the mystery of Christ, when you see this in Scripture, what it's talking about is that Christ leading up to before he came, what the Christ was, what the Messiah was, was a bit of a mystery. And Paul's saying, you know, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. He, he's going on part of this mystery is that, that when Christ came, suddenly the gospel was going to be opened up to everybody, including us. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Pause there. Just think about that. See, part of the unfolding of history is that up until Christ came, it it was a mystery hidden for ages. Another place Paul says this in Colossians 1. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. I don't want to, I don't want to bore you here, but understand what, what Paul is saying is, in, in his suffering, Paul's suffering, he says, I'm completing, Christ suffered, but I'm completing what, what Christ, he ended this revelation. Paul is now fulfilling it, completing it, that's what he says, what was lacking in Christ. I'm completing it by taking this message to the world. That this is the truth. That God, the one and only God, 
provided a way of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me give one more. Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret for long ages, I mean kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed. And through the prophetic writings is made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, those guys acted in ignorance. They, and Peter, when he was preaching them, seemed to give them a bit of, a, a, of leeway to say, I know that you acted in ignorance, but now you must repent. It hit me as I was working through this. We cannot claim Ignorance. Do you realize that? The mystery has now been made known. Christ was revealed. The end of the, the revelation of Christ was, was made known. Here today, we don't have to wonder, what's the Messiah like? Who is he? We know. You know. We cannot even claim ignorance the way they could have. And how many of us quite often still deny Christ? It seems worse. We may not have stood up and shouted, crucify him, crucify him, but at least they acted in ignorance, not knowing who he was. Now my purpose is not to bog you down with the theology of this. I'm actually thinking instead of you and or the people you know. Let me explain. I've mentioned before, in reference to funerals, maybe you've heard me say this. I've mentioned before, in reference to funerals, funeral homes, if you were to go to almost any funeral home in America, you would think that everybody that was dying in America was going to heaven. Do you know what I mean by that? I don't think I've ever gone to a funeral service where the, the pastor got up and said, this guy was a bum. <laughs> He's not going to heaven. I mean, that's, that's not happening. Do you, do you think everybody in America is going to heaven? No. Jesus, Jesus said the path to destruction is broad. He said the way to life is narrow, and he goes on to say few find it. So I think something's off. I think we live in a country where people have bits and pieces of the Bible. Just little tidbits. Just enough to make them feel okay. They've got, they, they've got just enough, just little tidbits that they've pieced together. And some of it's truth. Some of it's just their own thinking. But just enough that they go around thinking, I'm Okay. Maybe, maybe this is not your experience, but in my experience, I, I'm going to tell you right now, this, this is, one I think, one of the most important topics that I could talk about to you, um, with you as a pastor. I think the majority of the people that we meet think they're all right. Even if they think they're pretty bad, they, somewhere in the back of their head, they, they, they've, they've heard God's love. They've heard that God forgives. 
And so even if they've done some horrible things, they go, somewhere in the back, they think, I'll probably be okay. So I think this is essential for you, for me, to think about as we go out into the world. I want to start with just you, but I also want to think about this as we go out into the world, we're, we're talking with people. Chances are, I think, that many of the people that go, oh yeah, I, I think I'm okay. Chances are, many, many of our friends, family, neighbors, in reality, are not. They don't really know Jesus. They might know his name and use it, but they don't know who they're talking about. Jesus, who's been glorified and sits at the right hand of the Father until the day that he's going to return, the Savior of the world. In Acts chapter 17, a passage we'll get to again, Paul the Apostles has gone to a group of Gentiles in Athens. We think of Athens, we think of the wisdom and knowledge, and, and he's there, and, and when he gets to Athens, there's this, this, a bunch of idols that they're worshiping, and, and there was one that they had set aside to the unknown God. It was for them, it was like a just in case we're missing anything. Honestly, doesn't sound that much different than what you might encounter in America. We wouldn't say we have an idol to the unknown God, but we're like, you know, we, what they were saying was there, there's, there, we think there's a God, an ultimate God, God, and we don't know who he is. We don't know a lot of details about him. But, but they, in Athens, you know, so Paul encounters these people and they're like, well, we want to make sure we're not missing anything or leaving anything out. So we, got, we want to at least acknowledge him as well. And listen to Paul's response to this in Acts chapter 17. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. See, there's that ignorance again. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands men everywhere, everybody, right, to repent. Now, before I read the rest of this, doesn't that sound similar to what Peter just said a minute ago? You acted in ignorance, but now you ought to what? Repent. What's it say here? You acted in ignorance. The times of ignorance are over. Now, I want you to be confused about this, this phrase, overlooked. Overlooked does not mean God was less letting everybody in. That's, that's completely shot down by every other passage in Scripture that talks about this. Especially Romans chapter 1 where Paul talks about the reality that e- even those who don't know are still held accountable to God's law that's written on their hearts. Think of this more in these terms. Have you ever, for those of you that are parents, for those of you that are kids, you can think maybe your parents have done this for you. Have you ever as a parent seen your child and you go, that's not right, but you don't intervene right away. You go, you think you're so smart? Okay, go ahead. Let's see how that works out for you. Let's see what happens. Very much God in his grace let the world do exactly what they thought they wanted to do. God overlooking is God saying, yeah, this nation has gone this way, this nation has gone this way, this nation has gone this way. But God in His grace, the overlooking wasn't saying, I'm going to let this off the hook. The overlooking is God now saying, when He says, in the times past I've overlooked this, but now, see His intervention now is saying, you tried your way. It led to destruction. But now, I want everybody to know 
a Savior has come. Now I want everyone to know across the entire globe. And so uh, Paul can go to these, these people in Athens and he can say, you may think you have all your bases covered, but your ignorance, again, is no excuse. What do they need to do? Repent. Repent. As I was examining this, I thought, man, this is so much exactly what I think we need to say even today. So many of the people that I know personally that think they're okay, all, all the, they don't have all the truth. They have these little tidbits of information. What ought my message be to them? Here's Christ. Here's who he actually is. Jesus actually is God, the one true God. And this is what his message was to these people, the one true God that you thought you were worshiping. The one true God, he has made a way. It's Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. Nobody. It's just Jesus. And so what do we do as Christians? We tell them the truth. We say, it's, it's Jesus. What is the response to be? Repent. Turn away. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Him. In times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he, why? Because he's, he's fixed the day on which He's going to judge the world. In other words... You, you ought to repent. So here's the truth. You ought to repent. Why? In this particular passage. Judgment's coming. Every single person, when they stand before God, it's going to come down to one thing. Was your faith in Christ. Genuine, real Faith, not just did you say you had faith, not did you just use the name Jesus every once in a while, but did you really, did you return away from your way of living and say, God, I trust you, I'm, gonna, I'm putting everything, I'm putting all my eggs into the Jesus basket, I'm trusting him. That's, the, that's what it's going to come down to. Not were you a great person, not did you do a good job. Another interesting story we're going to look at, I don't want to get too much into yet, but there's a man named Cornelius, we're going to read about just in a little bit, where, that Peter encounters. Cornelius, the Bible says he was a man who feared God and, and gave alms regularly and prayed. And we're going to read in this story when we read through Acts, Cornelius still needed Jesus. Our country's full of a bunch of people who might consider themselves God-fearing people. And I'm telling you right now, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. That's what they need. They need to repent. Turn away from the, doing life their way and turn towards Christ. Ignorance won't stand on the day of judgment. Ignorance will not stand on the day of judgment. No one will be able to get up and say, I did not know. The Bible says that no one will have an excuse. Not one person. I have to start by saying, how about you? Because I, I have to say, when I stand before God and I'm held accountable for what I've talked about in this room, one of the things I want to lay out and present to everybody that steps foot into this building, and I, I'll get a little personal for this. See, I grew up in church. Okay? I think I've gone to church almost my whole life. There was an aspect where I knew all the right words to say. I had all the right things, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. 
for a long time. So I have to look out and say, just because you've stepped foot into this building does not mean that you're saved. Does not mean that you're truly a child of God. Does not mean that your sins have been blotted out. If you come here every day for the rest of your life, but you never repent and turn away from your sin and say, I'm going I'm to put my faith in Christ, meaning I'm going to trust His way of doing things. Think about faith that way. He says, I'll do it this way. All right, He's Jesus. That's what faith is about. Someone who has faith knows that their, their, their actions aren't saving them. They know that they can't save themselves. But what happens when you start to trust Christ to save you from your sin? Well, if you're trusting Him to save you from your sin, then He goes, hey, I need you to do this. You go, okay. I trust you. So if you're here today and you're sitting here, and you, I'm just telling you, if you've never come to a place where you've repented of your sin, maybe, maybe you're adding in some good stuff. Oh, you're adding some great stuff in. Maybe you started doing this Bible reading thing with us. You're, you're trying to come to church more. But, but there's sinful areas of your life, and you're like, I'm not letting go of that. I think you ought to question whether or not you really have faith in Christ. Everybody, the time of ignorance is over. Everybody now ought to repent so that their sins may be blotted out. And Peter went on to say, and experience a time of refreshing. So I start with you, with me. I think this is also important as we deal with others around us. Anybody know anybody, does anybody in here have any connection with people out there that are convinced they're okay? They might even use the word Christian. They might even talk about Jesus. Anybody know anybody like that? And maybe you've had your doubts like, I don't know. I mean, what they're saying, what they're doing isn't matching. Let me just give you a little extra information here. The times of ignorance are over. You can, as a person, you can, it's important for you as a person who's a Christian, if you're a Christian, to, to, to tell them you ought to repent of your sin. Now, they might hear that and go, you know, forget you, buddy. But, but our job, Peter's job, Paul's job, our job is to be witness. That's what he said, to be witnesses of this. That's what Peter said to them. I'm to be a witness. Just, I'm, I'm just telling you this is what it is. God made a way. It's Jesus. And the command is now repent of your sin. Putting all of your faith in Christ. You can do that. Reality is, they might respond to you the way many of the apostles were responded to. In fact, you're going to see this in the next little story. There's some people that hear what Peter's saying right now, and they don't all go, thank you, Peter, for sharing that. Everybody, come on, let's follow Jesus now. That doesn't happen. That's not what's going to happen. And if you start speaking the words of truth, it's not going to always happen for you. You're not going to start telling people you're a Christian and you're going to church and you're reading your Bible now. Not everybody that you meet is going to go, oh, I want to do that too. You wish they would, don't you? You ever wish that? You start experiencing them and you're like, this is really good. I like that. Well, this is interesting. And you, and you start telling somebody, you're hoping that they're going to go, I think I'm going to do that too. That doesn't always happen, does it? Well, don't stop. Keep at it. Keep at it. Day of judgment's coming. 
Day of judgment is coming. Times of ignorance are over. God is now calling people everywhere on every part of this globe to now repent. You may be the one person in somebody's life that tells them the truth, the missing element. They might have some mixed up, messed up theology going on in their head. You might be the one person that might be able to say to them, actually there's just one God. And there's one way of salvation that He made. It's Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, when He came to this earth, He was God in the flesh and He died on the cross. He was innocent, but He died on the cross. He, was, he allowed Himself to be crucified. And He did that. And in doing that, He took the wrath of God upon Himself for your sins and my sins. He, t- he took those things on Himself. And all He asks in return is not for you to try to save yourself. He wants to save you. And He says, trust in Me. Have faith in Me. Trust in Me. You may be the first person that tells that to somebody. They might be sitting there going, well, I thought just all the religions were kind of the same and they all roads led to, to God. And they, I kind of thought they were all like basically the same. Just be good and you'll go to heaven. Uh, no. That's not the truth. Christianity is exactly the opposite. A lot of religions are like that. Be really good and you'll get what you right. Christianity is not like that. Christianity doesn't say be good and you'll go to heaven. It says you're not good. You're not going to heaven, but Jesus is good. And He wants to take your sin, all the penalty for it upon Himself. You may be surprised, there may be people in your life that don't know that piece of truth as you present that to them. You may be the one person that presents it and they go, I didn't know that. Then maybe the Spirit of God will take that little nugget of truth, inject it into their heart in such a way You may not even see it. But it's going to start to grow that little piece of truth. Paul talks about that. He says, some people plant the seed, some people water, but God brings the increase. The times of ignorance are over. God is now calling everybody everywhere to repent so that their sins may be blotted out. And a time of refreshing may come. Even if your sins, their sins, would even be as heinous as chanting, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Even if your sins were as heinous as saying, I'd rather have a murderer released to me than Jesus. There's still hope. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you've been, how you've acted, no matter how you've responded to Jesus, Maybe you haven't accepted Him as your Lord and you've said, I don't want to do what He says. Doesn't matter. Today can be that day of salvation for every single one of you and for every single person that you know. So I want to encourage you as you leave this week and you go through this week, start equipping yourself to just share the gospel, to wipe away the ignorance and encourage those around you to repent. Turn around. Turn away from where you're going. Follow after Christ. It's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. And I thank you, Lord, that the times of ignorance are past. We never have to wonder anymore what the Savior is like. We now know. It's Jesus. It's you. 
You're glorious. You were humble, compassionate, caring, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You humbled yourself before your heavenly Father, took the penalty of our sin upon yourself, allowed God's wrath to be poured out on you, and died. But you were raised from the grave. And God has glorified you. You now sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling your kingdom. And Lord, we know that one day you're going to come back and set everything straight. And in your grace, you've given us this time in between to try to wipe away the ignorance from across this globe. I thank you, God, for missionaries who have traveled to every corner of this earth to to share the truth so that people will not die in their ignorance, but they'll know the truth of who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to dispel, to to, to wipe away the ignorance in our own little corners of this, this country. Lord, help us to speak the truth of the gospel. Help us to speak it with hope and with assurance. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to speak it because we know who you are and we know how good you are. I pray that you would help each and every one of us in this room to to have repented of our sin, to turn away and to follow after you till the day that we die so we might enter into eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.